I was a stranger. And you invited me in. I was sick. And you looked after me. I needed a teacher. And you inspired me. I was lost. And you prayed for me. I was addicted. And you helped me break free. I needed a mentor. And you were there for me. I felt alone. And you showed me true community. You helped me experience the joy of worship. You made me feel welcome and safe. You gave me the strength to keep going. You led me to Jesus. questions and those statements that are in there and uh, I love to see the body of Christ doing its part each one of us and so there's some things in there that you know that it's kind of pointing out but there's a question that's asked you know pretty much you know are you willing are you willing to do your part are you willing to share your gift are you willing to do what you can to help people take steps towards Christ to help people uh, hear the gospel, to help people grow up in their faith, to help people discover their purpose in life. And so are you willing to do those things? Because it's going to take everybody doing their part. And that's what I love about that clip. It points out that, you know what, if we all do what God has put in front of us to do, what he has put in front of us to participate in, it makes a difference for eternity. And if you've got your outlines, you can take them out, kind of follow along. And uh, last week we were talking about, you know, the walls of Jericho coming down. So this week we're going to be talking about building walls. Last week we talked about Jericho and how sometimes God asks us to do things that don't make sense to the rest of the world. They only make sense to us sometimes. But God has a plan and He has a purpose. And, and so last week we talked about how, you know, marching around the, the walls of the city of Jericho, God literally brought these walls down. Well, this week we're going to be in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is talking about bringing some walls up. And so I think it's awesome to see that in both both stories, we see that it takes everybody, you know, give, giving their part, doing their best, and, and getting involved. And so it's a cool story. And so if you've got your outlines, kind of follow along. But it's Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. And this is a great book on leadership. If you've ever wanted to, if you like leadership, read the book of Nehemiah. If you, uh, if you like seeing teamwork, read the book of Nehemiah. You know, and so it's it's a great book. And so if you will, kind of follow along in, in Chapter 1 here, and let me just kind of set it up a little bit. Chapter 1 here, Nehemiah, he is the uh, cupbearer to the king. He is the one who has to taste the food, if you will, or taste the wine to make sure. Because in the day, the king would often, people were trying to assassinate him, take him out. And, and so they would have, you know, his cupbearer would taste the wine. Hey, it's good. You can have some. Or, hey, you know, eat the food. Make sure it wasn't poisoned. And so he put his life on the line for this king day in, day out. 
And so he is, uh, you know, he is a, a Jew and he is here serving this king. And anyway, so some guys come to give him a report. So Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned uh, there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province, province, province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And so Nehemiah is getting a report from his hometown. He's getting a report of, hey, what's the condition? It's kind of like many of us, if we were to go back to our hometown, you know, maybe you grew up somewhere else, and you went back to your hometown, and, you know, and and, and you drove through the town, and you saw that, you know, hey, that's where we used to live, but that house has been torn down now. Or you go, you know, you look around, and it's in decay, and maybe the buildings that were, you know, where you once went to the stores, those stores are closed, they're tearing down the buildings. It's just kind of a, a ghost town in some ways. And so Nehemiah is getting a report back from his his, his family here about his hometown, his community, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a special city. And so he's getting word, hey, man, the walls have been torn down. The, the, the gates have been burned. Man, it's in disarray. It's a disgrace. And so it grieved him, man. It, just, it, it burdened him. And, and so he was broken over this. He was, he was embarrassed and ashamed of the condition of his hometown. And for many of us, like I said, we've experienced that. We've gone through and said, man, it just... It bothers me that this was once a place of life. This was once a place of, of men of just uh, life change and enjoyment. And it was just a place of fun. Man, now it just looks run down and destroyed in many ways. I heard someone sharing the other day about their hometown and how it's changed through the years. And it's kind of heartbreaking. Well, that's the report that Nehemiah got. But for him, this was even bigger than that. And, and so we're going to kind of unpack this a little bit. But Nehemiah saw a need. Nehemiah saw a need. He saw a need Whenever this report came, you know, again, that, that last part there, it bothered him. He said, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. And, and so maybe he saw a need and it moved him. And emotionally, it rocked his world. He began to weep. He was troubled by it. It was, it was a burden for him. And it was something that weighed on him. But he says, he says, I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed for the God of heaven, to the God of heaven. And so he mourned. Mourned means that he, he grieved over this. I mean, it, like it troubled him. It was a loss for him. And, and, and then he, he fasted. He gave up the natural, if you will, for the supernatural. If you've ever been a part of a fast, you're giving up the natural for the supernatural. You don't, maybe you don't eat for you know, a certain amount of days and you're going to fast from something. Maybe it's from coffee or whatever it might be. You say, I'm going to do away with something that I want or something that I desire for something that you know, is, is greater than that. And so we relinquish the natural for the supernatural. And, and God, throughout Scripture, God teaches us to fast and pray. And so here, Nehemiah begins to fast and pray, going, God, you know, what can be done for these walls and, and for my, my community, my family, my hometown? So Nehemiah saw a need. You know, I love it whenever God puts a, he allows us to see a need. There's some of you that there are times that you're troubled by something. You know, you hear a report, you see something. Maybe, you, you know, you hear a missionary talk or maybe you are in a certain part of town and God gives you eyes to see things that maybe nobody else sees. You watch people walking by and you go, why does it not bother them? And there's some of you in here that you don't understand why people are not more passionate about certain things that you are. It's because God has given you eyes to see that need. And whatever that need might be, you know, God has given you that. So he gave Nehemiah 
uh, he, he allowed him to see a need. So God has allowed you to see certain needs. And I've heard people through the years that say, hey, listen, you know, uh, Pastor Mike, does the church do anything with this? And I'm like, no, we don't have a ministry for that that type of ministry. But, you know, if you want to be a part of that, if you want to lead that, we would be willing to get behind that because we don't go out and start ministries. I want you guys to understand that. We don't go out and say, hey, listen, we're going to start this type of ministry and we'll get the plate going and we'll hope that somebody will come along and want to have a passion for that. That's not how we do things here. What we do is we ask God to, to bring people here who have a passion, who see a need, who want to make a difference, and we'll, we'll empower them to lead that ministry. But we don't sit here and start plates and start trying to get people to come do these these plates, you know, because what we end up doing is we're trying to keep them spinning. It's like something off of a Tonight Show. But what we do is we ask God, hey, God, put a passion in someone's heart. And so God has allowed some of you to see a need. Maybe it's to see people who are hungry fed. Maybe it's to do a food pantry or something like that. We participate, you know, part of what we do as a church, we participate with the Otago Interfaith, which is here in downtown Prattville, and then also the Welcome Center in Millbrook. So we support those ministries. But there's some people that, man, they, just, they want to go put food in someone's hand. You know, I love it whenever people have a passion to see someone, you know, to teach people how to read and write. I remember years ago there was a lady in Birmingham. She had a passion to see people who could who would learn how to read and write. And the way that she wanted to teach them, she was a teacher, was she wanted to teach them by using the Word of God. So she would take the Bible and they would come to the church and she would have a class with them. She would teach them how to learn how to read and write. And most of us probably think, you know, there's probably not a lot of people like that. It would blow your mind how many people in our community, right within just the shadow of the this, this steeple, that don't know how to read and write. You're like, no, not here. Yes, here. And oftentimes it's not young people like you might think. It's adults. They're 40 and 50 years old. And they've never learned how to read or write. Think about how frustrating that might be. Someone hands you something. The hand, even the handout that you get today, man, they, don't, they can't read that. I mean, think about how frustrating that might be, how people would take advantage of them in life. And so for her, it was a passion. It was something that God, he, gave, he let her, allowed her to see a need, and so she began to teach people. Instead of just being able to make a mark, they could write their name. And think about how neat that might be. And so God has maybe, maybe he's allowed you to see a need. I met a guy one time, God put it on his heart to put clean drinking water in the hands of children all over the world. And so he started a ministry where they literally, where they would go in and they would drill water wells. And, and our church has been a part of planning, you know, and drilling wells. We do it every year through a ministry that does that. that the guy that I met with, that's his ministry. And so they literally will go into an area and they'll drill a water well. And they'll have a, like an artesian well or some type of pump well there that will allow people to get fresh drinking water. And it would blow your mind how far women and children have to carry water in some of the uh, world just to be able to take care of their family. And so a lot of that water is nasty, you wouldn't believe, but whenever they put down these water wells, it goes down to where there's clean water. And so God allowed this man to see a need, and this man was moved to ministry to do something about it. So Nehemiah saw a need. Nehemiah felt a burden for his people. Nehemiah felt a burden for his people, and he couldn't get, it, he couldn't get over it. It's like a weight. I don't know if you know what a burden is, but a burden is something that you're toting around that seems heavy on you. It weighs on you. You know, five pounds doesn't seem like much until you hold it like that for a long time. You know what I'm saying? And so it, it can be a small burden at first, but it continues to grow. And, and you can't kind of just kind of let it go. It, it weighs on you. You can't get over it. It's like, man, it's always there. It's kind of reminding you. And so God had given Nehemiah a burden for something. And there's some of you that you can't get away from it. God has given you a burden. It continues to come to your mind, the forefront of your mind, that keeps coming back because you can't get over it. So whatever that passion might be, maybe it's to help people to be set free from addictions. 
You know, maybe it's to help people find, you know what, how to learn how to read. Maybe it's to find food for people. Maybe it's to reach out to the homeless. You know, whatever that ministry might be, God is allowing you to see it so that you can meet the need. And that he's given you the burden that you can't get away from. And so Nehemiah had a burden for his people. I have a burden for the lost. I can't get away from it. Man, I want to see people come to know Christ. I want to, I want to see people, you know, pl- place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And it's something I'll never get over because I, I guess I, I, I still remember what it was like to be on the outside looking in. And so I don't know what the burden may be that God has given you, but there's a burden for something. What is it? So God has allowed you to see something. He has given you a passion. He's given you a burden. And, and so you, you wonder, like I said, you wonder, hey, why are people not more passionate about this than I am? And for some of them, because God, that's the way the body works. It takes all kinds of people. Nehemiah was moved to the point of repentance. Nehemiah was moved to the point of repentance. Look at this next passage here in Nehemiah 1, 5 through 7. It says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see my praying night and day for your, your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. And we have sinned terrible, terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Nehemiah was moved to repentance. He was broken over his sin. You know, he, he, like I said, he saw the need. He felt the burden. And, and some of you have, have, have seen that and, and you've, you've got a, a burden for some type of ministry. You know, and God, we teach this in our, in our growth track. But God has shaped you for whatever that need or that burden might be. He shaped you for it. And we talked about it last week, our spiritual gifts. We all who are believers who have put our faith in Christ for salvation, we have, a, we have literally been given a spiritual endowment, a spiritual gift. And so the exciting thing is last Sunday, you know, we had, we had nine people last Sunday that gave their life to Christ. One in the first service. I think there were eight, there were seven in here. And then one young lady after the service prayed to receive Christ. So all of them are part of the family of God. Amen? Is that not awesome? So nine people put their faith in Christ for salvation. So for somebody like me who has a burden for the lost, man, that's an incredible day. But here's the thing. It only begins there for them. It's like they were born. They were born again is what the Bible says, right? So they were born again. But here's the thing. We have a responsibility as a church to what? Disciple them. So we're to disciple them. We're to equip them and prepare them for the works of ministry. And so, again, we're shaped. We have spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. So some of you guys have, the, have spiritual gifts for teaching. Use those spiritual gifts to teach and equip these people. Some of you guys have a heart maybe for discipleship. You love discipleship. You love to see people come to know Christ, but you really love to see them grow up and mature and develop and become faithful followers of Christ in every area of their life. That's what you love. So that's your heart. And then your abilities. You have the ability. Maybe some of you guys have the ability to, to do things. You use those abilities to help build up the body of Christ, to help spur one another on towards loving good deeds. And then your personality comes into play. Maybe you're one of those people, man, you don't meet a stranger. And so your personality kicks in, and you find one of these people that have put their faith in Christ, and you meet with them, and you say, man, I would love to sit down and meet with you and share with you what God has taught me. And then your experiences. You use your your experiences, whatever you've gone through. We had a lady here on, on staff at one time, Wendy Tudela, uh, who she had gone, she had had multiple miscarriages. You know what she did? She used those experiences that she had gone through 
to help women who had lost a child or had had a miscarriage, and she was able to minister to them. And so God, he shapes us for ministry, our spiritual gifts, our heart, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences. He shapes us to do things. And he wants you to be a part of what the body of Christ is to be about. Too often, like I said, we get caught up in us. We get caught up in us. And we make it about what we want. And so when here Nehemiah, you know, he's broken to the point of, man, he's confessing his sins. He's got, I've sinned against you. My whole family has sinned against you. We haven't, we haven't followed your regulations. We have, we have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Let me tell you, whenever we feel conviction, that's a good thing. Whenever you get to the point where you don't feel conviction, it don't bother you when you sin. It don't bother you when you lie. You're in a scary place. A scary place. But we should feel conviction. We should be bothered by our sin. We should be bothered whenever we don't line up with God's Word. We should be bothered whenever we don't line up with His teaching. We should be, it, it, should, it should grieve us a little bit. It should bother us a little bit. And, and so Nehemiah was broken over that. And so he, he was moved to repentance. And here's what I love. When we are moved to repentance, God gives us a vision. God gives us a vision of what it could be. And, and so God gave Nehemiah a vision. And so he, he, he sees a need, he's broken over it, he's got a burden he's carrying around. But the cool thing is, is he's moved to repentance and he makes things right with God. And then God gives him a way, a vision, a purpose, a plan. And, and so I love it. So Nehemiah had a vision. And so God began to reveal how he would, he would literally meet this need. And remember, he, he's the cupbearer to the king, right? So he's the cupbearer to the king. And so he realized, you know what, there's a vision. I think sometimes we forget why we, we come here on Sunday mornings. You know, I know it's Labor Day weekend. Some of you guys may have big plans for the weekend. Some people are probably out of town for the weekend. A lot of people may have gone to Texas for one game, maybe went to Atlanta for a game. You know, but here, here's the thing is, why do we come here on Sunday morning? I think there are times we forget why we come here. Is it just out of habit? Do we come here just to kind of, hey, make my wife happy? Make mom and dad happy. Make Pastor Mike happy. I mean, why are we here? And I think sometimes we forget what the vision is. Why does Journey Church exist? We exist to reach the unchurched, the unsaved. To reach those who are disconnected from God. Those who are far from Him. And so that's why we exist. And here's the thing. We exist to reach them. And here's the thing. Lead them to become faithful followers of Christ in every area of their life. So the very reason we exist as a church is literally... To reach the unchurched, the unsaved. So that's why we exist as a church. So I think there are times whenever we as individuals, we forget, why are we, why are we here? And so you might think, well, Mike, I'm here to hear this message because I think you want us to hear what you have to say. My job is to invest in you guys, to teach, equip, and prepare you guys for the works of ministry so that when we walk out of here, the church doesn't end with the end of the service. It doesn't end with the last song. But church goes out and impacts and influences our community. And as you guys are going about your life, and as you're teaching, as you're working, as you're a student, whatever it might be, the church is actively, literally fulfilling the vision that God has given us. So we gather here as the body of Christ to be encouraged, to be challenged. And here's the thing, is to remind, be reminded, hey, what is the vision? What is the mission? The vision, you know, is, is, is important. Hey, this is the vision. This is what it looks like. The mission, that, that's our job. And so the Great Commission says, hey, go into all the world making disciples. You know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus said, hey, I'll be with you wherever you go. And, and so we've got to be willing to say, hey, you know what, God, give me a, a vision of what it might be like. Give me a vision of what it might be like. And so I, I don't want you guys to come to church out of, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. This is what you do on Sunday morning in the South. This is what Mama wants. I mean, I want you to say, you know what? You know what? We're going to gather together as the body of Christ so that we can go out and make a difference. And we're, and we're saying, you know what? And I have a part in this. I have a part in this. I have a part in that mission. I have a part in the vision. I have a part in what, what is happening here. And so Nehemiah had a vision. Nehemiah, he also he realized a vision that goes beyond yourself. A real, he, Nehemiah realized a vision that goes beyond herself. And I would say that to us. Hey, we need to realize something that's bigger than me. Bigger than me. I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty selfish. I, I often think about things from my perspective, like, hey, what's, what's in it for me? Y'all ever think like that? Anybody else raise your hand? Just, hey, act, you know, participation. Be honest. Anybody else think like about, hey, what's in this for me? Do y'all think like that? Some of you guys are liars. I can tell you that right now. So... <laughs> But anyway, so here's what we do. We, well, let's say, hey, listen, hey, where do y'all want to eat at? And you already know in your mind where you want to eat, and so you're going to try to do everything you can to persuade them to eat where you want to eat, right? You'll ask your wife. You'll give her two choices, one bad choice and one good choice, because you want to eat the good choice, right? And, and so we have a tendency to do that. You know, and it's like, you know, and, we, and so we have a tendency to be selfish. You know, we say, hey, listen, do y'all want, you know, when, even whenever you ask, hey, do y'all want hamburgers or hot dogs, in, in your mind you're thinking, all right, I want a hamburger, so I don't really care. If you want hot dogs or not, we're going to try to work it out that way. Maybe y'all don't do that, but, but maybe you say, all right, we'll have hot dogs for you guys that want those. But, all right, hey, chicken or steak? You know, you guys are going, I want steak. And I know for me, I'm choosing steak over chicken 99% of the time if it's a good steak, you know. And, and so what we often do is we think about things from our perspective. Well, here's what I love about this story with Nehemiah. It wasn't about him. You might think it is, but it's not about him. It's about God's kingdom. It's about God's glory. It's about God being honored and it's about God doing something that can only happen if God shows up. And I think sometimes what we do is we only want to do what's right for us, what's best for us. Hey, what's in it for me? You know, what do I get out of this? But you've got to realize a vision that goes beyond yourself. You've got to be willing to risk it all at times. And here he does. And so let's, let's pick up in, in Nehemiah chapter 2. Early the following spring in the, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, Rain. I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. And let me tell you why. Because it would cost him his life. If you showed up in the king's presence, you know, we, you know, if if you showed up in his king in the king's presence in an inappropriate way, it could cost you your life. Say, get him out of here, get her out of here, and it would literally be the end of your life. So he had never shown up in his presence uh, sad. So the king asked me, "Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me." You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, and there's a reason for that. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if, it, if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And so think about that. You know, he's put his life on the line. He's risking it all. And he said, hey, listen, God, I, I'm going to ask the king. And so he's, he, he's literally, show, his countenance shows that he's sad. And the king asked, literally, hey, how can I help you? And then that's a miracle in itself. But the king asked him, how can I help you? He said, hey, if you're pleased with me, help, send me back to rebuild the walls. Now, let me just say this. That's not like, if, you know, if you guys were say, hey, listen, 
Hey, man, you got a couple of dollars for lunch? You know, hey, you know, hey, do you mind helping me cut the grass? I mean, that, that's one thing, right? But he, what he said, hey, listen, hey, king, do you mind helping rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and, and provide for the gates and the wood and everything else that is needed? I mean, you talk, that's not a little ask. That's a big one. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's like, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for broke. I'm going to ask for the biggest thing I can ask for. Hey, King, would you let me go back? And then he also gets letters from him, you know, telling the governors where he's going through their property. Hey, listen, the king has given me permission. I'm going back to rebuild. And he's able to get all the supplies together. So he's risking it all by going in front of him with a, a, a bad countenance. And then he goes, you know what? I'm going to ask for everything. And, and so he had a vision that was bigger than himself. And he put it all on the line. And so, so here's a statement that says, rise to the challenge with God's power. Rise to the challenge with God's power. I, I can remember whenever we were, we felt like God was leading us to plant a church. And I, I went to a couple of church planting conferences, to be honest with you. you know, and one of my passions is church planting. I love church planting. I love to see churches that are planted, you know, where there are a lot of lost people. I love to see churches that will preach the gospel. I love to see churches that will share the good news. I love to see churches that will teach God's word. And not just be a social club, but to literally say, hey, listen, there is good news, and they share it every chance they can. And then they equip their people to go out and to share the gospel and to be evangelistic in the places they work, the places they go to school, and in the places that they go. I love that. And so to me, I get excited about church planning and always have. But I can remember whenever we began to pray about planting a church, I had guys say, hey, listen, if you don't have $100,000 in the bank, don't even try it. And I can remember thinking, man, I, I feel like God has put this on my heart to do. And I, we didn't have $10,000 in the bank. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, man, we don't have $100,000 to plant a church. But, man, God, I believe that you are calling us to do this. And, God, I believe you'll provide the way. I believe you'll pro- provide the resources. And I can remember everybody saying, hey, listen, you know that 80% of church plants fail. I was like, Yes! You keep telling me that. Everybody kept telling me, hey, Mike, 80% of church plants fail. And I was like, I know. I mean, believe me, everybody in their you know, brother had told me that. But I didn't want to be focused on what, who didn't make it. I wanted to focus on the ones that did. And I wanted to learn from them. You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, you know, God, I believe that you're in this. And so we, we literally, we, I, I gave up my job. I ended up moving here. My wife gave up her job. We moved here to plant a church because we believed that God was calling us here to plant a church. And, and so the thing is, is, You've got to be willing sometimes to say, you know what, God, I, I trust your power. Not what man says, but God, I trust you. And so here's, here's what I love, too. Nehemiah had a plan. Nehemiah had a plan. And, and so when I think back to Lori and I stepping out, you know, we didn't, we didn't blindly just say, hey, I'm just going to trust God. We did trust God, but here's the thing is I began to go, I don't even know any church planters. So what I would do is I would literally start calling around, and I found out that a friend of mine had left the church where he was at to plant a church, and it had been successful. And so I get on the phone with him. We start, you know, asking questions. I'm asking him, picking his brain of everything. And then he gave me a name of another guy. I call him. We start talking. And then, I, you know, I, hey, there's a conference to go to this. I went to that conference. I went to California to a conference at, at uh, Saddleback and went out there and went to their conference. I mean, I was just doing everything I could to get knowledge and just get information. Say, hey, God, you're calling me to do this. I want to do it the right way. And, and so we began to just do everything we could, but we put together a plan. And you know what? Nehemiah had a plan. I mean, he, I don't think he went into the king and kind of goes, hey, listen, what, what should I ask for? I think he had a plan. I think whenever he walked in, he knew what he needed. You know, and, and so he had a plan. And so I love that. And, and so here's the thing. So Nehemiah goes back. So the, the king gives him everything that he asked for. So he goes back. 
and he gets to Jerusalem, and he goes out at night, and he begins to kind of inspect the walls. He didn't tell anybody what he was going to do. And so he goes out, and he inspects the walls, and it was worse than what he had thought. And so let's pick up here in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. And so he gathers up with the leaders there in Jerusalem. He says, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And then I told them about the gracious hand of God uh, had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. And so how about that? He said, guys, let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you about God's provision. Let me tell you what God has in store. Let's rebuild the wall. And they're like, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And man, they're on board and they begin the good work. And here's what I love about it. They all began to do their part. They all began to do their part. Everyone did his part. We talked about it last week. Everybody doing their part is critical. You know, everybody doing their part. Just on Sunday mornings here, you know, we, we've counted it up before. It's, it takes hundreds of people every Sunday morning to do what happens with just the services, the ministries. I heard Brandon talking earlier about, about the children's ministry over here. The, all those that are in there teaching those kids, changing diapers, taking care of them. It takes somebody doing it. People out in the parking lot, hey, welcome to Journey Church. We're glad you're here. You know, the, the, the cafe, the greeters, the ushers, all the different things. Everybody doing their part. And I, always, I love to tell people this. I hope you understand this. People make a decision whether or not they're coming back to the church within the first five minutes of being there. They have not heard the music. They have not heard the teaching. But it's because of how you, the church, treat them. How we treat them. And so whenever we greet them out in the parking lot, you know what? You're, you're taking one or two of those minutes right there, and they're making a decision whether or not they're coming back by how they're treated in the parking lot. So if you ever wonder, hey, you know, man, I don't know if I want to be out there in the heat and the cold. You know what? You're helping people take steps towards Christ. And they may come in here. They may hear the gospel. They may respond by faith. They may put their faith in Christ that day. And you know what? You are a part of that. And I think sometimes we, we go, you know what? That's, that's bigger than me. You're right, it is. But what it, what it takes is somebody doing that part. It takes somebody standing at the door and say, hey, welcome to Journey, man. We're so glad you guys are here. And they begin to go, you know what? Maybe these people really do want me here. I can't tell you how many times I've heard through the years where people would say, you know what? I feel like whenever I come here, they want me here, including my tats. I'm like, you're right. We do. You know, we want you here. We want, we want to see God move in your life. We want to see your life changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. Here's the thing. We also want to see you help others get here. We want to see you do your part. We want to see you step up and move. And so it moves back to what we talked about last week, serving and making a difference. So everyone did his part. This is what I love. It says working side by side. Working side by side. So Nehemiah says, hey, guys, we're going to rebuild the wall. And if you remember, like last week with Jericho, it was, it was a big enough wall that 40,000 men were marching around it. Just the warriors were 40,000 men. And so here's Jerusalem, a big city. And they begin to say, hey, listen, it's going to take everybody doing their part. And if you read Nehemiah chapter 3, it's like, hey, the Mazingos had this section right here. And the Mazingos were working on that. And next to that, it was the Davises. And the Davises were working on that. And next to that, it was the Bridgmans. And then next to that, it was the Smiths. And next to that, it was the Jones. And next to that, it was whoever. But literally, Nehemiah is like, hey, this is who was working on their part. And all around the city, everybody is doing their part. They're literally focused on working on this part here. And then it would talk about, hey, who, this group did the, the gate. This group did the ironwork. This one did whatever. And so everybody's doing their part. Now, I don't know about you guys, but what I love about it is Nehemiah said, hey, listen, I want you to focus on your part right here, your job. And what we have a tendency to do, like with my three boys, I would say, hey, listen, I need you guys to, 
you know, do the, clean up the yard or I need y'all to cut the grass or whatever it might be. One would say, hey, listen, Daddy, you know, Zach's not doing his part. Or, hey, da- Daddy, Hunter's not doing his part. Or, hey, Daddy, Christian's not doing his part. Now, hey, listen, don't worry about their job. You do your job. Y'all's kids ever do that? Yeah. And, and so what, what they will do is they'll, they'll worry about who's not doing their job and they don't do their job, right? And so we have a tendency to do it. So what I love is Nehemiah said, hey, listen, focus on what's in front of you. Focus on what's in front of you. Don't worry about the Jones around the corner. Don't worry about the Smiths around the corner over there. You know, you just focus on your job and do it and do it well. And, and so everybody was working side by side, rebuilding the wall. It took everybody doing their part. So think about this. If somebody didn't do their part, there were going to be gaps in the wall. Right? If everybody doesn't do their part, there's going to be gaps in the wall. And so everybody has to do their part for this wall to be complete. And so everybody's doing their part. Look at what it says here. Above the horse gate, the priest repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. So it's kind of, hey, you know, it was easy to kind of focus. Hey, this is my part. This, this is my area. And let me just say this. You just think that God has you living in that house because you got a good deal on it. God has you living in the house that you live in so that you can make a difference where you are. You just think that that promotion that you got is just so that you can make more money. But God has you in that place so that you can make a difference on what's right in front of you. You just think that, you know what, hey, this is, I'm, I'm just here to, to kind of make money and go home. No, 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 you're there to make a difference. And so I love the fact that Nehemiah said, hey, listen, whatever's in front of you, that's what I want you to focus on. That's what I want you to work on. God tells us the same thing. Wherever I put you, be a light. Make a difference. Now, there was, there was, there was pushback. There was pushback. And, and, and so... You've got enemies here that are kind of, you know, they're antagonizing, if you will, Nehemiah. They're trying to stop this rebuilding. They're trying to stop this difference that's being made. And so let's read Nehemiah chapter 4 here. It says, Sambalot was very angry when he, when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. And he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day or just... Or by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? And let me just say this. There will always be opposition from the enemy. There will always be opposition from the enemy. That, that's important for us to know this day and time. There will always be opposition from the enemy. Jesus died so that we might live. And so for every believer in this room, if we have put our faith in Christ, we have been born again, we're a child of God, we're a part of the kingdom of God. And here's the thing is, he says, listen, while you're here, you're a light in this dark world, but understand, this is a world of darkness. And he says, hey, listen, you've got to understand, you are the light. You know, I, I, I will be with you. I want you to go and I want you to spread the truth. I want you to share the truth. And so we've got to understand, there will always be opposition this side of heaven. The enemy... The ruler of, of, of the, of the uh, dark world, I mean, that's, that, that's Satan's realm. And so the thing is, is he's going to try to do everything he can to discourage you, to dissuade you, to divide you. If he can divide the church, he, he messes up our mission. And that's what he constantly works at. Hey, let's, let's, let's get everybody divided. Let's get everybody separated. You know, and, and that's what the enemy loves to do. And so there will always be opposition by the enemy. For us to think, hey, man, you know, the enemy's not going to mess with us. He will. That's his job. But here's the thing. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. The power of God that is in me, the power of the God that is in all of you, is greater than anything that you will ever deal with that comes from the enemy. He cannot beat you. He cannot win. He is already defeated. 
But what happens is we start believing his lies, and we start kind of letting him get our attention. And before you know it, he has robbed us of our focus. And so too often what we do is we get focused on the enemy, and we end up listening to his lies, but he's a liar. We've read that over and over through the last few weeks. He is a liar. And so what he wants you to think is, you know what, you don't have a chance. You'll never be good enough. You, don't, you, you, you could never start a ministry. You could never make a difference. There's too many people that are hungry. There's too many homeless people. Don't worry about that. And so he loves to say, you know what, you're not big enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. But there will always be opposition. So what the, the, the enemy is telling Nehemiah, listen, you guys don't even have the right stuff. You really think you can rebuild a wall with charred rubble? One of them even says, hey, listen, if a fox were to run along the edge of it, it would collapse. There will always be opposition. And look what he says here. It says, God will fight our battles. God will fight our battles. Nehemiah told him, God will fight our battles. At one point in the story, he literally said, hey, listen, some of you guys are going to be working on the wall while some of you stand guard. And so some of them were standing guard while some of them were working. And then he got to the point and said, hey, listen, it's going to be like this. You guys are going to have to literally work with a trial in one hand and a weapon in the other. And so you're going to have to be working on the wall with a sword in one hand. You're going to have to be working on the wall and building the wall with a sword in one hand. And so we have to be on alert. We have to have to be ready. And the thing is, is whenever we gave our life to Christ, it's not like we, we said, hey, you know what, we're done. No, no, no. We're warriors now. We're warriors now. I love it whenever I realize, you know, that there are people that are praying for me. Like right now, there's a lady that is praying for me. She's praying for this service. She's praying for, literally, for God's power to go forward, for the gospel to be heard, for lives to be saved. And so we have prayer warriors here at our church that literally pray. The first service, there was someone sitting backstage there praying for the service and for me. You know what they're? They're a prayer warrior. We're not called to be wimps. We're called to be warriors. And so we've got to understand, you know what? There is an enemy, but he is defeated. And we don't have to, we don't have to bow to him or cower to him. And Nehemiah was like, you know what? I'm not giving these guys time. They kept saying, hey, come down and talk to us. He goes, why should I give up doing a good work to come down and talk to you? And so what we've got to be willing to do is we've got to have that same mentality. Stay focused on the task at hand. That's to reach the unchurched, the unsaved, to make disciples, to do everything we can to equip and prepare the body of Christ so that it is built up and the kingdom of God is expanded. That's what we've got to be focused on. We can't take our time and waste our time on things that don't matter. And so Nehemiah, he said, listen, God will fight our battles. And he had a plan even with that. He said, listen, wherever the trumpet blows, that's where you guys are supposed to run to. And it was constant threat, constant threat, constant threat. But they pressed on. Look at what it says here. The builders complete the wall. So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. And they realized this work had been done with the help of what? Our God. And so here's the thing is, we've got to be willing to attempt what can only happen if God shows up. If we only do what we can do, if we only attempt what we can do, then we are, we're, we're setting very low goals. We've got to be willing to do, think like Nehemiah said, God, what do you want to do? God, what is bigger than me? God, what is bigger than us as a church? What is bigger than us coming together as one? So God, we, we want to do even greater things than what we can do on our own. And so Nehemiah was quick to give God the credit and God the glory. He said, hey, you know what? They knew, our enemy knew this was the hand of God. There's a couple of things that we ought to be building. And prayerfully for us as a church, for you as an individual, you have this mentality of, hey, you know what? I want to be a builder. I want, I want to build 
a life of service. How do you build a life of service? We talked about it last week. It goes back to what I said earlier. We discover what our shape is, our spiritual gifts, our heart, our, 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 our abilities, our personality, our experiences. And we realize, you know what? God has created me. He has gifted me. And he has, He's even taken me through things to prepare me for this time in life. And so we discover what that, that shape is that God has shaped us for ministry. And then we use it for His kingdom. And so hopefully every believer in this room wants to see the kingdom expanded. We want to see the law saved. You know, even, even those that we might consider our enemies. The Bible teaches again. Remember he said last week, God tells us sometimes to do things that don't make sense. Pray for your enemy. What? Pray for them. Pray that their heart would be changed. Pray that they would hear the gospel and respond. Pray for the, the people that maybe you, you dislike the most. God, pray, I pray that you would change their heart. And, and so we've got to be willing to have that mentality. But to build a life of service, look what it says in Mark 8.35. It says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And so, so what is being said there, it's kind of like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was willing to put his life on the line. He was willing to chance it all. You know, so that, you know what, maybe something could be done about what was happening in Jerusalem. Well, let me ask you this. What are you willing to put on the line so that the lost might be saved? And let me kind of personalize that a little bit. What about for your mom or your dad to be saved? What about for your aunt or your uncle to hear the gospel and respond? What about for your, your niece or your nephew who's maybe strung out on drugs or, or maybe living as wild as all get out? What would you be willing to do in order for them to hear the gospel and, and be saved? What about your own children? You might think, well, my, my kids are little. Maybe they've never come to that point of putting their faith in Christ. What are you going to do to prepare them to hear the gospel? What are you going to do? What are you going to invest in? And here's the thing is, you know, we invest in things sometimes, but we always want a good return. The greatest return you could ever have is to invest in someone spiritually. To invest in someone spiritually. We always want good investments, don't we, in this world? Because we think, hey, you know, the richer I get, you know, the more I can do. Well, that's not always the way it works. A lot of times the richer we are, the more we do for me. The more we do for us. So we've got to be willing to build a, a life of service where we, we, we discover what our gifts are and we use them. But we also need to build a life of generosity. First Chronicles twenty nine fourteen says, Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you gave us first. So we have to build a life of generosity. You know, one of my dreams and one of my desires is for our church to be a generous church. That we would be generous. That we would give. I mean, we would look for ways to bless the community. We would look for ways to bless other churches. We'd be a generous church. That's all of us. That's, that's us. And, and so building a life of generosity, number one, giving is an investment in eternity. I think all of us like to invest in things that we get a good return on. And so giving is an investment in eternity. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. So if you're trusting in your money, you got it in the wrong thing. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be strong in their treasure. They will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. God wants us to experience true life. And, and sometimes we buy into the world's version of true life, and true life is stuff and more stuff and you know more storage to keep more stuff and and, and, and if I have more, I'll be happy. If I get this, I'll be happy. If I get more, I'll have to be happy. And what Jesus said, hey, listen, we've got to change that mentality. But we really got to think about, you know, hey, how can we, how can we bless others? 
And so, you know, one of the things that the Bible teaches there is to hey, use your money for good. Each week we take up a we take up God, uh, God's tithes and offerings. We pass an offering basket in, in both services every week. And we pass that by, and you guys, some of you guys may wonder, hey, what is that? Why do we do that? And so I want to kind of explain that for a second. So what we do as a church, and some of you guys are new believers. We just had, like I said, nine that put their faith in Christ for salvation last week. So they're new believers. They're kind of like babies in Christ, if you will. So they may not understand what a tithe is. Now, some of you guys, when I start talking about tithe, you already start getting nervous because, you know what? Your trust is in your money, not in your God. Or the God that, that rules this universe. And so here's the thing. So we pass these baskets and you take your tithe. And, and so the tithe is not really yours, it's God's. And so God tells us that the first 10% is His. So if you make $50,000, you know, so you make $50,000, then 10% of that is God's. It's not yours. And so the Bible teaches us to return that tithe, that first 10%, back to Him. And so the first thing we do is we return God His tithes. And then we give an offering. So an offering is anything we do above that tithe. So the first 10%, God, this is yours. I'm returning it. You have been faithful to bless me. You have been faithful to provide. God, I want to be faithful to your word, and I want to be faithful to tithe. So God, thank you for trusting me with this other 90%. That's pretty much what we do. So we pass that basket around, and people are able to put their tithe in there. And then an offering is anything that you do above and beyond that tithe. So the tithe is his, but the offering is what we give. That's ours. And so we, we, we give an offering. And there are times that we, we, we would do a, a special offering. We call it the big give. We do that once a year. We call it the big give offering. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. So when we pass that around, that's an opportunity for you to participate by worshiping God, by returning His tithe and giving an offering. Now, we, 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 we do everything we can to make that simple for you. And that literally is, you can, you can do it by the basket. You can literally do it online. You can text to do it. That's the age we live in. You can have it set up to where your bank sends that into the church. So if you go on vacation, you don't forget to you know, bring your tithe or return your tithe. We, we do everything we can to help make that easy for you and for me. And, and so mine is automated. I, I, I make it as easy as I can make it, but it's still worship for me. And, and so that's one of the things that we do. So I want to share with you, you know, we talked about last week, potential. You remember potential? Potential is what we have the capacity to do. Like we say, hey, man, that guy has never realized his potential. That means he's never really accomplished all that he could do. But, you know, we've missed it. And so I want to talk about our potential as a church for just a quick second. So just kind of explain how we do this and, and how things happen. <coughs> so the River Region, and we took, when we talk about the River Region, that, that is, that's Montgomery, Millbrook, Wachumpka, Prattville, you know, all these areas. So we kind of uh, pull those together. So the average household income for the river region is $53,560. Now, some of you guys are going like, hey, I, I don't make that much. Or my household doesn't make that much. But there's some of you that make way more than that. You make $100,000. And so, so maybe you got a $100,000 household income. Both of you work or whatever. Some of you make less than that. Some of you make more. So it averages out. Does everybody get that? It's simple math. It averages out to the average household income is 53560 And so then... I want you to look at this next one. 364 households, that's Journey Church. 364 households make up Journey Church. So you multiply that times $5,356. That's God's tithe. That's just the tithe. 10% of that 56000 $5,356. So whenever you multiply that times the number of uh, households in our church, that's $1,949,584. That's a lot of money. Would you all agree? Something's wrong with you if you can't agree with that. That's a lot of money. 
And so here's the thing. You realize, all right, that is our potential if we just tithe. If our church just, the people, the families in our church just tithe. In other words, they return God's tithe. If they return that, that's our potential. So let me show you this next one. But our church's annual budget is $1.1 million. It's $1,111,500. Uh, so you might look at that and you say, all right, well, that's pretty good. But here's the thing. We're not, we're not reaching our potential. That, that's not counting offerings. That's not above and beyond. That's just returning God's tithe. It's simple math. But it, it just shows to show you the potential that is here among our church if we're all faithful to do our part. That's the Mazingos, the Davises, the Bridgmans, whoever, the Smiths, the Jones, everybody returning God's tithe. Then we literally have the potential to have $1.9 million come in. You might say, well, you know what? I don't know if the church needs all that money. Well, God says that it does, and if, he, if we would literally put it in the church, he could do incredible things with it. And so you might say, well, what would you do with that extra $800,000? Well, I can tell you one thing. Number one, we would pay off any debt that we have. And we would do also do, I'd, I would love to not have a mortgage here at this church because people often go, well, what's that 1.1 go to? Air conditioning for your honey? You know what I'm saying? You know, power, you know, all that kind of stuff. Food, we, we buy donuts for you guys, coffee. You know, we provide for a children's ministry, student ministry, college ministry. I mean, we do mission trips. We do all kinds of things with that money. We provide staff that can do training and equipping. We, we, we provide for a lot of things out of that. But here's the thing, it's not our potential. And so I want to be clear, we're not reaching our potential because we're not being obedient in this area. It goes back, my prayer is that there will literally be conviction and maybe like Nehemiah, we would be willing to repent and turn and say, God, I want to honor you in this area because I've not been honoring your commands. So the big give is above and beyond the tithe. So last year, we took in, last year's total for the big give offering was $63,637.04 invested in 16 plus ministries and church plants. Which, that is, that's awesome. And believe me, I, I'm excited about that because that was the most we had ever taken up on the big gift. Ever. That was the most we'd ever taken up. But I'm not sure it reaches our potential. If we would return the tithe, like I said, you've got 800 and something thousand dollars there to do ministry with. Some people say, well, what would you do with it? We'd plant more churches. We'd support more missions. We, we'd do, we would do everything we could to feed people provide for people do the things that you know that the church is supposed to do and so here's the thing is you know we're, we're we're making ends meet now don't get me wrong but what could you do if you had no debt kind of like you in your home if you didn't know owe anything on your house how much more could you do now here's the thing most of y'all just spend more on you right but how, think about what you could do for the kingdom and, and so so th- those are some things that can happen so so last year's total was sixty-three thousand and supported all these ministries church plants in montgomery alabama we're, we're helping, helping with a church plant in South Haven, Mississippi. We're helping with a church plant in, in uh, Whitefish, White, Whitefish uh, Montana. We're helping with church plants all over. We're helping with missions all over the world. We're helping drill water wells for those who need clean water. And that's what that goes to. And so think about what could happen if we were all doing our part, how much greater that impact would be. So I want you to put on, the, on, the, on your calendar, Sunday, December the 8th, is our big give offering. That's what we'll give above and beyond the tithe. It's not the tithe. Don't give your tithe that day. But be willing to say, listen, you know, God, what, what would you have me give that's sacrificial? And this is what I love is, is whenever the whole family is a part of that. We've had families that would give up eating out, you know, for a season so that they could stake the money they would use to eat out, and they would literally give that as a gift to the big, to the big give. 
Uh, we got a young girl who's literally painting pictures, and whatever she sells her pictures for, that goes to the big give. You know what she's doing? She's using her talents and her time and, and her treasures to be able to give towards something that will have an eternal impact. And so let me ask you, what are you doing? A little girl's doing her part. Are you doing your part? And so we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to be generous. God, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be always about what I can have, what's best for me. But God, I want to be about your kingdom. And so here's a couple quick things and we're done. Giving blesses me in return. There's nothing that blesses me more than giving to someone and blessing someone. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. And then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Man, God will bless you if you will be generous and give to those in need. To care for those who, instead of ridiculing them or pointing out that, you know, hey, they're bums or they're lazy or they're homeless or whatever. Maybe if you were to say, you know what, God, show me how to bless them. Show me how to help them. You know, and, and so be willing to do whatever. So giving blesses me. And so if you are, you know, hey, it's all about you. One of the best things you can do for yourself is give. Is bless us. You're never more like Christ. Never more like God. Jesus gave his life for us. That we might have eternal life. So why in the world would we not say, you know what, if he can give his life, can I give some money? Can I give my time? Can I give my treasure? Can I give my talents? I mean, I've got to be willing to do whatever. And then look at the next one. Giving strength strengthens my faith. Whenever I give, man, it causes me to realize, you know what, I am trusting God. Look at what it says in Malachi again. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. And I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Let me tell you, God has already blessed most of us in this room with more than we have room for. And if we were to be honest, there are a bunch of us in this room that we waste more money each week than what would even be the tithe. We waste it. And so we've got to be willing to say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you to return your tithe. God, I trust you to bless me and to take care of me and my family. And I'm not going to trust me and my math. God, I'm going to trust you in your math. Look at the last one there. Giving makes me happy. Giving makes me happy. Not only does it bless me, it makes me happy. And look at what it says. It says, you should remember Acts 20, verse 35. It says, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Man, if you want to be under God's blessing, give. Be generous. Be kind. You know, and, and look for ways to bless others. And so whenever we look at it that way, say, God, I want to be a blessing. And, and so here's the thing, it makes me happy. I tell people all the time, I, have, I see people in their doom and gloom and poor on me, poor on me. And I say, hey, listen, you know, I'll try to you know, find out what's going on, what's causing it. And there's times I'll just say, hey, listen, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go do something for somebody. Why don't you go bless somebody? Why don't you, why don't you go cut somebody's grass or take their garbage can up? Or why don't you do something for somebody else and kind of get the focus off you for a little while? And so maybe you're one of those where you're kind of doom and gloom. Maybe you ought to go do something for somebody else. Maybe I ought to go up to Children's Hospital and watch a little kid being pulled around in a wagon that's battling cancer and realize how blessed you are and say, you know what, God, what can I do to bless that family? Maybe I can buy them lunch or maybe I can do something for them. And so whatever that passion may be that God has given you, man, use it to make a difference in the lives of others. And so what we've got to be willing to do is say, God, help me to be generous. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, I want our church to be generous. But I want us to reach our potential. And it's not me. But God wants us to reach our potential. So here's my thing. When I look at that and I realize, all right, so 1.9 million is what we can do, right? That's what we can do. If we just return God's tithe, that's what we can do. To me, that's not, that's not big enough. Because what we ought to be saying is, listen, if we can do that, you know what? Then God says, you know what? If God gets involved and God gets involved in this, 
then there, there ought to be even greater things that we can do. Instead of $1.9 million, you know, maybe God wants to provide the church with enough to pay off any debt. And here's the thing, maybe to go out and start campuses and new churches all over the place. But God, we've got to believe you. So it's not just what we can do, but it's what God can do in us and through us that's above and beyond what we can do. We, we, that's what we can do. Let's, do. let's do greater things. Let's strive for greater things. And so this last part, here's your next step. It's real easy today. Giving plus serving equals change lives. And if you're not giving and if you're not serving, you're missing out on the greatest reward possible, change lives. And you need to be finding, you know, God, show me how I can start giving. God, show me how I can start serving. God, I want to see lives change forever. And I want to see the kingdom of God expanded. And God, I want to see the law saved. And I want to see disciples made. And God, I want to be a part of that. And so God, instead of sitting back and watching what everybody else gets to do, God, I want to be a part of that. And so I want to challenge you. Maybe today you just say, God, show me where I am in this. Because he will, he will bring conviction. God will bring conviction if we'll ask for it. And so we just say, God, show me what needs to change in me. So I want to ask you if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. And you just respond as God would lead you. What does he want you to do? What does he want you to change? And just say, God... I pray that you would just bring conviction. What in me needs to line up with your word? If it's my giving, God, I'll give. God, if it's my serving, God, I'll serve. And so I want to ask you, just, just ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And then here's the thing. Are you willing to repent and take a step of obedience? There may be some of you in this room, you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never been saved. You've never been redeemed. You're not a part of the church yet, but you want to be. And you hear me talking about it, and you're thinking, man, I, I want to be a part of something like that. I want to be a part of something bigger than me. And let me tell you, the only way that you become a part of it is by faith. By faith in Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done on the cross. And so maybe you're here today and you never put your faith in Christ. I want to give you an opportunity. It's as simple as this. Just say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. Jesus, I believe that you can save me. And Jesus, I believe that you went to the cross, you paid for my sins. You bled your precious blood to pay for me. And so, Jesus, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, thank you for being so generous to me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to live for you. That's repentance. And so, Jesus, I want to, I want to ask you, fill me with your spirit. Lead me and guide me. And, Jesus, show me how I can serve those around me. God, show me how I can be a part of your church and how I can make a difference. And so, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being so generous to me. If you just prayed that prayer, the Bible says you will be saved. It's not so much the prayer of your lips as it is the prayer of your heart, but it's important that we confess it, that we confess it publicly. So I want to encourage you, man, if you just made that decision, you, you can meet us back here at the VIP room in the back, back corner back here. We would love to talk with you more about that, that decision. You can indicate it on the back of your card, and one of our pastors will follow up with you. But the most important thing is, is taking those next steps. You just started. If you just accepted Christ, you just started. We want to walk with you on this journey. Father, I thank you for loving us. God, I thank you for blessing us. And God, I thank you for the potential that's in this church. But God, not, do not let us settle for just going through the motions. But God, if anything, fan into flame with, Father, the passion that, God, that you have put within us. God, give us, give us vision, but, Father, to see a ministry you want us to be a part of. And God, give us the courage to trust you in the area of our finances. God, use us for your purposes. Use us for your kingdom. And God, I pray that you would bless this church in such a way that we are a blessing to the community and to the state. God, don't let us hold back on anything. 
Let us trust you completely. In Jesus' name, amen.